0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique business meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guests on the podcast are two guests, Maureen McCarthy and Zell Nelson. Maureen and Zell are social scientists helping groups to become wiser together by strengthening the neural circuitry of social connection. They are the co-founders of the Center for Collaborative Awareness and co-creators of The Blueprint of We, a collaboration design document used by organizations, communities, families, and couples in over 100 countries. Welcome to the podcast, Maureen and Zell. I'm delighted to have you both here.
1: We're happy to be here.
0: Spending
2: time in a conversation with you is always worthwhile. It's a oh, great impact.
0: For sure. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I feel the same way. And, and uh, I know that your work and something that I'm really curious about is that your work straddles both the business and personal worlds. So your blueprint of we has been applied in both arenas. So what, what makes it so universal?
2: Well, what we found like business has always been our playground. Like that's the place where our work really is been where we've been dancing for all these years. But the interesting thing was the the blueprint of we is a design document for any type of relationship for any number of people. And just like you design, you know, a smartphone app or a piece of furniture, like relationships need design in the same way. So in realizing we were out there helping groups design business relationships, the number of people going through the process in their business life said, well, wait a second, now I want to take this home with my spouse and my kids and then my housemate and the person I'm renting to and my board of directors at my nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just started spreading in a way that we hadn't initially un, you know, thought that it would. We weren't pushing in that direction, but it makes perfect sense because the very first one that was ever created was for our personal relationships as we met the year, my doctors told me I would die from this genetic lung disease.
1: And and I think it's fascinating how important relationship is and become is becoming even more important as more of our structures are um, morphing and changing as well as falling, falling away, away <laughs> as well as mixing cultures like my culture and uh, Japanese culture are very different. And when I interact with, across the globe we need to design our relationships rather than trying to fall into old structures
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and be more conscious about it and make actual choices rather than uh, kind of defaulting to what you mer- may have learned in childhood or or how you've been affected by later relationships right oh, yeah. yeah. that's great well Maureen you mentioned your your story so let's let's talk about that your your life is an extraordinary story and your lives together so Zell, you're part of that story as well. So feel free to add anything. But um, tell us what you've learned from the experience that you've gone through. And, and, and I guess my next level question is really about how can we apply that to our businesses and organizations? Two big questions. but Sure. So I
2: was diagnosed with a rare genetic lung disease um, at like 21 and told I didn't have that much longer to live. Uh, and it was certainly a big surprise because part of that was how do I live my life for the next few years? If I don't have any of the traditional things you plan for and do, uh, at my disposal, like those kinds of things sort of were off my radar. And what's interesting about that, like I have, I have this crazy lung disease. I've now lived far longer than anybody thought possible. Um, the disease is very rare, so there's not that many. It's only in women. There's only about 2,000 women in the world that have been diagnosed, and I've lived longer than most anybody ever has. But what's interesting is that in the, in the experience of creating a more custom-designed life because that's what I needed to do at that point, I changed my brain to interact with my body, health, illness, death, uh marriage children everything that sort of business business yeah my work for sure everything that sort of be- became a big question mark i got to start custom designing and what that did because i do this work through the lens of neuroscience like how our how our brains interact together in groups i changed my brain so drastically that i've lived longer and that was not i didn't think about that at the beginning i didn't set out to do that but it ended up being i i have a relationship to stress that's so different than most people, uh, that I don't feel the massive amounts of pain in my body for the most part. I'm I'm living in a different state above them. I'm not worried about dying. I'm not stressed out about things as often as other people are, because when I do get into those places, like I do get stressed sometimes for sure. But what happens is I can't breathe when I'm in that stress. I can't lift my hands over my head or take a shower or get dressed. So life kind of comes to a standstill if I'm, if I'm stressed out. So it was this like, all right, I either have to give up on life if I'm going to do this stressful thing that I've done prior to this, or I need to design a new way. And in that design of my personal experience, and then Zal and I as a married couple, him taking care of someone who has a progressive lung disease. I am, I have 10% lung capacity left. I've been on oxygen a third of my life. Um, but the way he interacts with me, being in that space, because he's changed his mind so completely as well, the way we do this dance of being in this space of, yeah, you could die at any moment now, or you know, you're you're you've got lungs that mean we can't do half the things that people do. Right. Uh, he's got such a clean mind himself by questioning and using stress to as a design tool for relationship, for life, for interacting with things, um, that became. A personal journey for us, which turned into all right, this is working differently with our kids, with our clients like we were we were using these tools and processes that we were coming up for our own personal life and spreading them out through organizations and seeing the impacts that they have when you design from that space, not where it's problems and fixing things and things are broken and people are broken and there's a problem we've got to fix like all that kind of thinking is actually what makes it incredibly difficult for me to breathe so we began designing new ways looking at sort of the architecture of our human experience under a different lens um and that's where most of like the tools and the things we've been doing have come from it's been sort of interesting
1: for sure we're in relationship as we you know go about living our daily lives we're also in relationship in our businesses i mean we spend um i mean it's a little bit for now with the being at home so much, but we literally are with our business colleagues a majority of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, It's as vital to be mindful and use the things that come up to design better that they, they point at what's important.
2: I think that's one of the biggest things what we learned very early on was that stress is not something you push down or avoid It's literally something that you want to shine a flashlight on because it's great to design your life from, to design your work from. Because when something triggers us, we call it a ping, when something pings you, um, it actually is pointing at what really matters to you. And what we tend to do is we design from the place of, oh, that triggered me, That, that pinged me, I don't like it. Let me design from the thing I don't like. But what we've come to know is that when you just shine the light on what bothers you, you can then also shine a light on the thing underneath it, which is what matters most, what you value, because you will never be triggered by someone unless you believe they are not honoring something you value. Hmm. And when you take action from the place of what, you, what matters most to you, what you care about, what you value, your action, your design is so much different. And mostly because you literally have your full brain at your disposal, where when you think about problems and you're, you're stuck on the problem solution model, um, there are whole neural networks that go down in our brain, including most of our social network, which is allows us to be co-creative in that space. Hmm.
0: I was very struck by something you said about um, pe- you're only triggered when people don't honor what you value. And I've done a lot of work with people around what do you value and, and with the um, knowledge that that influences and has everything to do with the impact that you end up having. But uh, talk a little more about that. I I mean, that's a triggery moment. And what what happens when people don't honor what we value?
2: So if you look at it from, if you look at the brain from the idea that our brain is a meaning-making machine that metaphorically operates like an enormous filing system. And when I take in information through my senses, I'm then connecting to the filing system of my mind To pull all these files and put them, like drop them in front of me to say, oh, this is how I make meaning of the world. So I have to have a filing system of experiences over the course of my life to make meaning of what's in front of me today. And and the filing system contains everything from, you know, what your best friend and you did when you were 12 to what you saw in a movie or read in a book or what your boss said last week. Like we're constantly creating the filing system of our mind. So no baby is born with like a top value of respect or responsibility or financial stability like we're not born with those values they create they're created over the course of our lives as we're um adding files to the filing system
1: as things get met or not met in terms of what we desire desire want to create
2: yeah which means like the person who wants like people to be on time they were either like the person who got you know stood up over and over by somebody, or the parent didn't pick them up at school, or they were married to someone who was never on time, or they had an experience where someone was on time all the time for their relationship and it felt really good. And they know that to be in a good space, they want to be in that um, you know type of relationship with with new people. So when I say the things I value, I'm really pulling out the lenses through the filing system of my mind. So on the same front. That happens when I'm triggered by things. There's a file in my filing system that says, Hey, I don't like that. There's nothing that has any meaning till we assign a meeting, nothing. Which is why two people can stand and look at the same thing and one can love it and one cannot. <laughs> we have to use the filing system of the mind to make meaning of it.
1: And you can use the time example really easily to kind of illustrate that. So someone doesn't show up to a meeting on time. I get frustrated. And then I can take a look, I can sit about the work on the frustration and try and fix to make sure people get to a meeting on time. Yeah, I can
2: be mad at that person, I can tell them they're wrong. I, I can, can
1: create all kinds of structures, they get penalties for not being on time, with whatever the police comes out, Yeah, makes it. Right. Or you can take a look at, okay, why is it important for people to show up on time?
2: Um, so we call this file one and file two. Yes. And. If the thing that pings you, that triggers you is your file one, which means here's the file I pull when you're late, you can never have a file one about something that bothers you unless it's also connected to what we call file two. And file two is the file beneath file one that says, this is my value. This is what I care about. This is what matters to me.
1: Mm -hmm. And and in the case of time, it could be respect. Mm -hmm. It could be um, efficiency. It could be... Um, like collaboration, I want to be with others, I want to work on a team, like what are the things that make being on time actually a valuable um, characteristic to live by?
2: Mm -hmm. So I can't have a troubling thought about what someone's doing or what's happening without also having file two, which is the source that says, this is why I want this to happen or not happen right my file two of what matters to me is actually the root and when I can pause for a moment after I get pinged and look for the root file then I can take action from file two I can begin to design something from that place from yeah. that place
1: and then <laughs> as I'm designing around respect or collaboration I'm designing something a bit differently and co-creatively mm-hmm. rather than trying to fix a problem that often doesn't actually serve the thing I'm really wanting to create.
0: Right. Well, and you mentioned that in service of collaboration. I know, Zell, you're really uh, quite passionate about the connected brain and the safety brain and how that comes into play. And I actually had an experience just this morning of a colleague's safety brain coming into action. Mm And um, how do you think that that plays out for entrepreneurs, especially right now in this uh, in the pandemic situation.
1: Well, talking about the again these two neural networks that are um, really are, are help us to thrive as human beings. We need both protection and connection.
2: We for... couldn't survive as a species without both. So we have neural circuitry that we protect our, we used to protect ourselves, and we have a different neural circuitry that we use to connect.
1: And, um, when someone shows up in their safety brain, something pings them, they're frustrated. It could be something that has nothing to do with you, but they may, and in your safety brain, you disconnect from other things, other people, um, your very tunnel vision, you are not taking in other points of data, other people's you're perspectives, empathic. you're less, less empathic, Compassionate. um, someone in that space, um, generally, needs probably some kind of pause to be able to step back from that space. And,
2: but that's a muscle that you build over time. Like, so if you look at your brain as having like connected brain and safety brain files in that filing system of the mind, we live in a culture based on problem solution architecture. It's everywhere, and because we live in that world, we have. Typically, we have more safety brain files in the filing system of ways we need to protect ourselves than ways that we do autopilot connection. So we're trying to help people build the muscle of having fill, let's fill your filing cabinet of more for more of more connected brain files so that when you're in the midst of something, you're more apt to have an auto response that's connected brain than safety brain. And not that I, I we love our safety brain. Yes, like I, I need it. It's useful. I need it. I need problem-solution thinking if I'm, like, fixing my car or my toaster. Sure. What we're finding in groups of people, when you apply that same sort of safety brain protection, uh, problem-solution architecture to people, it's really draining on our system. We Like, if I said to you right now, like, hey, we're going to sit down with you, Ursula you are a problem, and we need to fix you. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: That's, what, to be that's well received. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but that's what we're doing all the time without the obvious words that I just used. Mm-hmm. Um, we're constantly looking, judging. Instead of being curious, we get judgmental, even in our heads. We do fight, flight, or freeze, even in our heads. Like, oh, I'm not going to be as warm with that person. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to give them the file they need as soon as they need it. Like there's all kinds of ways we do safety brain. And we just want people to have an option in any given moment to use safety brain or connected brain. But until you fill the filing system with more connected brain files, uh, your brain's going to give you a response that's more safety brain more often. Yeah, and and it's,
0: sorry, go ahead,
1: And And you had asked about, you know, it's a very... Like present space we're in, in with uh, fear about a virus, about our loved ones, about you know all different kind of situations. We're going to get back uh, to work. Economic health. Mm -hmm. All those things are definite, you know, core values around things that we want to create. And when we get in our safety brain around them, we often lose connection or touch to the reason why. It matters to um, engage in collaborative efforts to, you know, build a society or a, come up with new inventions of ways to engage in business. Um, we're we're limited, um, and so speaking to this idea of so many of us are in our safety brains on a regular basis, especially heightened now. Um, how do we? help people get from file one down to file two of what does it matter? What's, what's important to us and how do we design something that gives life to
2: that? Mm -hmm. And we do see a lot of that happening as we have physical distancing. A lot of people are actually connecting more. Yes. Ironically. Yeah. It's really great.
1: And coming up new ways and dropping into a deeper connection, a different level of connection because they understand the, the thirst and the desire for connection.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I I think this is particularly acute for leaders right now because leaders aren't immune from all this and they're dealing with their concerns, kind of organizational concerns, really looking at, um, you know, what does this all mean? And at the same time worrying about their families and, and uh, their business. So it's a, Uh, It's a real area of support to be able to be more conscious about choosing which file you're going to draw from in that moment. And it's making me think that your work has a profound effect on company culture and on teams. Is that what effect have you seen? I think that's very true. I
2: think what's really interesting in terms of impact is like what when we are working with an organization, we're giving them the tools and the structures for them to actually design their own impacts? Like how do you create the, um, the space for them to know how to become more impactful by getting in a space with a more connected brain um, approach?
1: I think there's a great story here. um, And Maureen's got more um, firsthand knowledge of it, of the, the lawyer's story with the group that went to the,
2: went on the train. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting story. Um, We used to live in Scotland and we had a client there who uh, their organization had been in a 10 year lawsuit with someone who was forced to sell their land for a safety procedure that the company needed to do. And the man sued the organization and uh, the lawyers for the organization told these four people who worked there, they were never allowed to talk to that man. Don't answer his emails, phone calls, anything like no right. communication whatsoever. And they controlled yeah. it. It was costing them millions of dollars over time, and still hadn't been settled. And as we started working with the organization, and and they began to see like where is our safety brain going on, and where how can we be more connected and be more mindful with how we're working? Uh, these four people came to me and said like we don't feel right not speaking to that man. Like we know we don't. Have the ability to, you know, we're not trying to get him to settle the lawsuit or anything. We just really feel like what matters to him matters to us. And we want to talk to him about what matters to him about his land. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why don't you ask him to do that? Like, see if he'll talk to you. So they reached out to him. They lived eight hours apart, a train ride, eight hours apart from each Uh other. So the four employees took a train, and the man took a train, and they met somewhere for lunch they ended up having a three and a half hour experience together. Mm -hmm. And it was just a, like, tell us about your land. Tell us about your family. We know it's been in your family for a long time. Um, How was the experience for you? Like, they just had a heart to heart conversation. And at the end, the man said, like, this is all I ever wanted. I understand your safety procedure. I understand needing my land to accommodate it. But no one ever said to me, we really appreciate you. And we're so sorry you had to sell your family's land oh, wow. no one from this big company ever told me that mm-hmm. so they, they left like giving each other hugs and feeling really connected with not trying to change anything. Just have the conversation. By the time they got back uh, the long train ride back, there was a message from one of the company's lawyers that said, Hey, we don't know what happened, but the entire lawsuit's been dropped. Wow.
0: That's <laughs> um, amazing.
2: Saving them countless dollars and time and energy in something that could have been taken care of so early on. If we would just stop and like pull down that protective idea at the start, like just doesn't mean you don't need to use it sometimes. You absolutely do. But there are so many times where we don't that we could create something so much more beautiful if we take that moment to look at file two.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I've, I've been very struck by as I've gotten to know you both is how y- you create an atmosphere of love and willingness to go deep and be vulnerable and you, you draw people to you who are able to do that too. And is that the mystical magic of uh, Zell and Maureen or is this, exor- is this you know available to, to the rest of us as well?
2: There's an interesting space we hold. Um, we hold possibility for other people. It's one of the sort of more natural impacts that we do, but mm-hmm. it comes out of the work we've done ourselves and on how we interact with groups. but there's a we've custom designed so many areas of our life that we can rest more deeply into that meaningful space because that's what connected brain does it it drops you into a more um, meaningful place, because you're not putting up even just a boundary, let alone a barrier. You're not blocking other people for fear of the vulnerability. And I don't mean that's like get together with people and tell, you know, blurt out everything you'd ever be hidden from them. Like <laughs>
0: Oh my God. Yeah.
2: But it's just a willingness to be fully who we are in that space. And other people are interested in meeting us there. So then they show up that same way. It's a mm-hmm. comfort level they feel. Like we'll we'll hold space for that, and they they know we're in it with them. We're not trying to get them there, and we're not there. We're just being there and inviting them to come play.
1: And and yes, I mean we definitely give and have tools and structure and process that help people move from safety brain to connected brain, move from working as a bunch of individuals to to a collaborative group, collaborative we entity that really has impact. Um,
2: that's a good point, Sal, because so for us, it's the, our work is around this idea that there are always at least three entities in any relationship, you, me, and we, and you have to take all three into consideration. Like some people will talk about, oh, we need to move from me to we, but then we work with people in Asian cultures who say, we are so we oriented, we need to get to me. Mm -hmm. It's not one or the other. It's all three entities are taken into consideration. And what happens when you get people to focus for the very first time on looking at what is the heartbeat and personality of the we entity that exists even when four people get together for dinner or a group of people are going through a workshop together, whatever that is, there's a, or the fact that Zell and I as a couple are a we entity. In fact, funny enough, we have this very weird phenomenon where our we is so healthy and we have... An identity. Yeah. We, we've created such an identity around that. Not like created it, but like it just, we've, we've paid attention to how our we shows up. That we've often gotten invited to dinner parties and they put one seat for Maureen and Zell. And then they realize, <laughs> like, oh, right. We need two
0: chairs. Like, it's you are two chairs. inhabiting two physical bodies. So.
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so funny. But we get it. Like We understand there's a, there is this we entity that, it, that people mm-hmm. recognize as an entity. And they're inviting Maureen and Zell
0: to the dinner party versus Maureen and then Zell. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, I mean, you are a married couple, and your partners in your business. How do you make that work? Um, especially now that we're we've all we're all more housebound, if not completely so. Often, business partnerships can be fraught and problematic. So, how do you well, make that work?
1: For us, it's the best um, experience. A
2: lot of it comes from the invitations and boundaries that we've created over the years. Yes. I think really great relationship design has um, continual conversations around what you want to invite with the other person for them to see or do or comment on. And, and what are the boundaries where you say, okay, I really appreciate that you know I'm trying to get better at this things, but please don't say anything when you notice i'm not doing it or on the flip side it might be i really want you to help me notice when i'm not doing the thing i want to do better at mm-hmm. do it in this way um so it becomes a series of like even as little as you know we're both sitting in the same room working like not disturbing each other just because some thought pops into my mind to say like Hazel, hey, let me know when i can talk to you and then he can be wherever he is. And whenever he's ready, You he can say, and then we'll often say, okay, do you know what you, are you going to remember what you want to say? Like put a pin in that. So you'll remember when I can talk an hour from now or whatever. Right, right. But there's a series of those kinds of things that we've designed and keep designing, constantly designing. Like there are new, interesting things that come from being home so much right now. And I love the fact that we're really aware of the invitations and boundaries to make it a really effortless place to be together.
0: Hmm. Well, and something I know you've developed, and in, not in, not since this whole pandemic situation has popped up, but you have a process called microdosing that actually rewires the brain. Tell us more about that.
2: So it's called microdosing other people. <laughs> and really, there's several tools that are sort of in this toolkit we have of um, microdosing for the mind. And microdosing other people is an experience of taking in the things that ping you or trigger you, and then taking a little dose of the very thing that just drove you nuts. So let's say that person you were in a meeting with, like, you know, took all of the space of the meeting and didn't let anybody else talk and was really um, dominating things. And I'm like, oh, you know, like that really pinged me. I walk out of that meeting. I'm like, that drove me crazy. I, I can't stand being in a meeting with that person. And instead of just, again, Sitting with you know, creating another file about how I don't like that kind of person. You want to use it as the flashlight into okay, how can I apply this very ping to my own filing system of my my mind by putting the flashlight on why this pinged me? So microdosing other people is about taking a little dose and turning the volume up on it somewhere very particular in your life and experimenting with being a little more of the thing that bugged you. Mm. Okay, so if I think that person is being too domineering. Where is it in my own life that I would like to be just a little more dominant and I'm not doing it? Maybe I'm giving myself away too much somewhere. I'm following what someone else is saying without giving my input or where can I take a little dose of the person? I don't need to be them, but I must want a little dose of them somewhere or that wouldn't have pinged me because there could have been 10 other people in the room and only three of us got pinged. Like some people, it didn't even faze them. They don't have a file in the filing system. I want to know what files are in the filing system of my mind. So I have an ability to upgrade them or rewire them into something more
0: comprehensive. It's counterintuitive to think about turning up the volume on something right? that's already annoying the heck out of you.
2: Yes. <laughs> but there probably is some place in your life that you want to try it on. So pick a place like, okay, maybe it's with my colleague in these kinds of projects where I just let them take all the lead or the credit or something. I'm going to do an experiment for the next three times we work on this project together. I'm going to make sure I like put my voice in more, like really stand for what matters to me in the design of whatever the project is. Like just play with it a little.
1: And that's a great example of shifting um, without necessarily naming it, shifting from file one to file two, Mm -hmm. from domineering to having a voice. Mm Mm-hmm. There they're two sides of the two two ways to describe the same behavior, but there's a different flavor to it when I'm taking a microdose of it rather than the, you know, gorging myself on that right. behavior.
2: So the microdosing also says where do you want to turn the volume down? You do two different experiments. So now I can look at okay, is there somewhere in my life where I'm being a little more dominant than I'd like to be? Maybe I am like, you know, Controlling my kids too much or not letting someone uh, have something I've created because I want control. Like where am I? Where's a little place that I can turn the volume down on that as an experiment. None of these are ever like, okay, now you got to do this every day for the rest of your life. It's an experiment. So play with that. Like, okay, with my kids for the next week, I'm going to pull back a little on being, you know, the cop parent around their homework or something. Like how can I actually, play with the space of turning down that dosage. And what ends up happening as you do the experiments is, and this is the thing that fascinates me, as I start changing the filing system where I don't have quite that grip on dominant people anymore because I've, I've, in essence, instead of making the guy at the meeting other when he's dominant, which is the pushing away your other, you do that, I don't do that. I'm now saying I'm going to take a little bit of you into me. I'm going to do a little bit of that. You're not other anymore. We are together. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something that happens where the next time, after I've played around with this for a while, the next time I see someone who's dominant, I'm just not triggered in the same way. Mm -hmm. It blows my mind how that works because the the ping is just saying, Maureen, there's something about dominance that matters to you. If you just hear me, myself talking to myself, if you just hear me and do this little thing, you're not going to be so bugged by it. You might show up in that next meeting with the dominant person and have more of a voice.
1: And there's two things that make it really impactful is finding that piece and then trying it on. When you try it on, you play with it, like Maureen's talking about, and you also reflect on what was it like when to be a little more dominant, to have my voice be stronger? How did it feel? What were the good things about it? Would I change anything about that little piece? so that I can be doing these micro design um, injections into how do I show up as a leader? How do I show up as a a teammate? How do I show up as a a boss? Like how are those um, roles I play can be enhanced by the noticings, the pings that um, are on my landscape?
2: Well, what's interesting, too, is that the we typically are working with groups to look at the pings, like things that trigger you, but you can use microdosing other people around things that delight you. They're they're the same. For sure. Yeah, there's, those are pings as well. If I'm pinged by the fact that, you know, you're so kind or so generous or you did a really cool thing about, um, you know, creating some innovative new thing that I'm interested in, I can also do the microdosing, turn the volume up, turn the volume down on the person who's innovative where do I want to have a little more innovation where do I want to have a little less and I want to just use what I've already created instead of innovating again Um, it's a great way on either end of the spectrum it's a way to look into this subconscious mind that actually rules your life like it's not our conscious thought that makes us do 98% of every action we take it's our subconscious filing system of the mind that actually makes us do what we do in the world
0: yeah. Well, and that self-awareness is so important to leaders and, and you're both leading your company and you're seen as leaders in your field. Um, I'd like to know what, what does impactful leadership mean to you? What does that look like for you?
2: I think there's an interesting, so we look at not, so our organization is called the center for collaborative awareness Because we realized over years of working with organizations that like self-awareness is brilliant and we need that. But this next phase that we call collaborative awareness, which is the awareness and the design of who we are together, there's it includes self-awareness. I also need to be self-aware. But the awareness of group of who we are in that group is such a massive um, sort of next stage of who we are in our human experience. And I think leaders have a really great opportunity to understand their own space within collaborative awareness, to become more aware of how they're holding space for groups, because that's a lot of what a leader does. But I think there's also a really interesting so like consider that um, when we were little kids, if we were in class and a teacher said to us, "Okay, everybody go home and write a paper on, I don't know, like Martin Luther King, we would have all gone home and we would have gone to a library, we would have used the encyclopedia and the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature, and the card file, and we would have all basically come up with a very similar report on Martin Luther King, and we'd get back into class, and chances are the teacher probably had as much or more information than us. Well, what we're finding today, if you ask a group of, you know, fourth graders to go home and write something on Martin Luther King, they now have millions of entries on Martin Luther King. Right. Yeah. And some kid in the class might have actually been able to connect with, like, the great-grandson of King and have a conversation with him Mm. and we'll all be bringing in very different information, which is, so we grew up learning how to gather information today. We need to know how to sift through information Mm -hmm. and that changes the dance of the leader and the follower. And so we see that dance as more of a, you know, if, if Zell and I didn't know each other and we got up to dance, we've lived with this rule that says man leads, woman follows, put on the music. We'll basically figure it out. But Ursula, if you and I were told to get up and dance, there's no structure rules that we've been taught about two women dancing together, which means we need to take a step back for a second and say, okay, wait a minute, what dances do I know? When should I lead? When should I follow? You need to do the same thing. And then we need to exchange that information. That's where the collaborative awareness begins. Like I know what I know and who I am, and you know who you are, what what you can do. Now let's exchange the information and design how we're going to dance together. So leadership is really a much more fluid experience. It's Mm -hmm. the ability to sort of say, okay, now, yes, you're the newest hire to our company and you're really young, but it's time for you to lead because of that piece of information you have. If that teacher today decided they needed to have all the knowledge and wisdom of Martin Luther King with their fourth graders (laughs) and they pushed back on the information the kids were bringing in, like, that wouldn't work. Uh, There has to be a dance.
0: Yeah, people have to be more open to what other people are bringing in. And, and I, I wonder if, I, I mean, as a, as a last question before we get to the rapid round, what do you think are the opportunities right now for in these times for true collaboration? I mean, I'm the eternal optimist. I can always see opportunities, and I think they exist even now when things feel so challenging.
2: So our mantra during all of this is, what does this make possible? Mm -hmm. Because again, we're looking at how to sort of pull back the curtain on problem solution architecture of our whole civilization and say, how can we move into a different space? So it's not like, oh, there's problems out there with this stuff going on. How do we fix them? It's what does this particular landscape make possible? And that's a very different lens to look through. So it feels like in these spaces, like we're actually like, yes, this is a, a virus and a pandemic, but for the very first time in human history, all humans are pointed at the same thing. That is never time. yes before. Yeah. No. What does that make possible for, like our, you know, the consciousness of all that we are, all of us, to be able to do together? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's exciting, and yes, it's odd that it came about. Well, it's not actually. We have more safety brain files than connected ones, so the the (laughs) global oneness had to go online with something safety brain oriented. But there's a lot of connection coming out of it. And I think we're gonna if we keep in that space, especially as we're able to go back into being together, to to be able to find connected brain files to make meaning of the world instead of the protective like, oh I don't know if I want to plan anything or I don't know if I should do that. Like if we're too uh if we're not feeling the connection and I don't mean like touching connection, but like feeling the connection with one another then we will make different things possible than if we feel that more connected space that we have an opportunity to create.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's these micro design opportunities and macro design opportunities around um, this file two space again. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things that have been highlighted or put the flashlight on of things that you value, things that matter? How can we bring like authenticity and meaning and like collaborative design design are we together based on what we've been what's been highlighted
0: yeah i agree with you i i i think these are exciting times in that way of looking at what is possible i don't believe there's in our hyper-connected world and i kind of have quotes around connected because it's around connecting connection to information. but I think this is really putting into stark light how connected we all are right. And it's it's around viral transmission, but it does highlight that what we do matters and that each person matters and um, you know looked in a, at through the lens of here's a way of looking at, our relationships and and how connected we are um i think that's gives us a lot of exciting opportunities and your work is just so perfect for this time because it helps us really expand on that deepen that and and really develop great connections that are going to help business and us in our personal lives as well so that's
1: i i i just i'm excited by what you have to say because We can see how connected we are and also how connected we want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, coming back to the whole invitations and boundaries piece, like where do I want to be more connected? Where do I want to be less connected? Where do I want to have time and space for myself? And where do I want to have time and space for other and the we?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you both game Yeah. Please. (laughs) Great. The first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Over the course of our lives? You can take that in whatever (laughs) way works for you. (laughs) I try not to confine it for people.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) For me, it's about dropping into a space of meaning, um, like mindfully, taking the pause to um, connect on a on a recognition level. I want to see the other person and invite them to see me. Mm, That's, That's had the most impact for me.
0: Mm. Maureen?
2: I think mine comes from the thing I mentioned before about holding possibility. Um, like living in this body with this lung disease and living a very different life and being one of the happiest people you can imagine. <laughs> There's a space of understanding how the learning I've gone through myself, the, the self-awareness journey, the collaborative awareness journey, um, makes an impact. And I, in turn, from that impact, get impacted from other people because they're willing to come into that space and tell me about their journey. And I want to have that kind of uh an impact that's a woven together experience. It's not solo.
0: Mm, I love that. The second question in the rapid round is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
2: Oh, mine is questioning my mind, like Mm. not believing everything my brain thinks. (laughs) Mm. And having the ability to, in, in slowing my brain down enough so I call it the difference between living in the eye of the storm, which is like the stressful thinking or anxiety, and watching a storm two miles off the coast. Like if I can see the storm two miles off the coast, I have a lot more ability to make good choices. And I think that's what I've been doing is move the storm two miles off the coast. Mm.
1: I, that's a fabulous answer. And <laughs> the, the other thing that popped into my mind was this aspect of collaborative awareness where i have so much more insight into who i am because of what Mm -hmm. maureen sees in me what i've invited her to mention or notice reflect reflect that helps me to grow and i think i do the same Mm -hmm, for Maureen. for sure and that this exponential space of growth in a collaborative awareness space is monumental
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's very powerful well the last question is what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with another business leader who's asking themselves how do i how do i have impact how do i positively affect my own environment and the larger world hmm.
2: i think it's about creating an awareness phase if you If you do nothing else, but take time to notice, like even if you do it as an experiment for a week, notice how often you're thinking more safety brain thoughts, more the stress, the worry, the triggers, and just pay attention to that. Like, oh, there's me again, worrying about that thing. Oh, there's me again, stressing out over that. We can't move to a new way of thinking or a new uh, neural pathway until we are just aware of how often we're habit loop autopilot thinking the same kind of things over and over. And I think there's a a real beauty. It's a mindfulness practice really of saying like, okay, I'm just going to be aware of me doing this. Just pay attention. And then you could do something after the experiment, but until you have an awareness phase, like we just don't even know we're doing half of the safety brain things we're doing. It's just normal life. So just notice, just be aware. With no judgment, just be aware.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: And what popped up for me was um, taking the time to listen to our colleagues, to the people we engage with, um, and listen, listen for that and ask get curious about that file too. Um, then we can co-create something together.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an exciting prospect. And I, uh, I so appreciate you both being here on the podcast today, Maureen and Zell. I, I think that the work you're doing is so perfect for these times. And uh, I think it's going to help raise us to another level of, of collaborating and relating with each other and, and even more than it's done before. So thank you both for taking the time to be here. Thank you. Thank you
1: for doing this work in the world and really taking a look at how impact we each have in the world.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
2: They can go to collaborativeawareness.com or email us at conversations at, at com.
0: Great. And um, you actually have a book that you're working on, which I will add to the show notes when it does come out, but your working title is Collaborate or Die, which uh, gives a, shines a light on how important the collaboration is. So I'm really excited about, about reading that. Can't for wait.
2: Me. Like, if I didn't collaborate well, I would be dead already. So <laughs> it's not even figurative.
0: Anyway. <laughs> well, I, I, I look forward to that. And thank you both for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you, Ursula. Thank you, we Ursula. appreciate you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.